Well, have you had a have you had a good day today? Well, you say that with a great deal of enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a good one, hasn't it? Why is that? <laughs> I think it's been a good one because God made it. And every day of your life, you ought to treasure. Your life is an incredible gift from God. You could have never been born, you know that? And if you'd never been born, you'd never have an eternal future in the presence of God in glory. So it's a blessing to have been born and have a day. Today was a good day. It's a good day because God made it and God gave it to you. How many of you have had the best day you ever had in your life today? Three or four brave souls lifted their hands. <laughs> Let me put it this way. If you consider the fact that the last 24-hour period of time you spent alive on this earth moved you 24 hours closer to the coming of Christ and the establishing of His kingdom on earth, and when He comes, we will see Him. When we see Him, we'll be what? Like Him. So you're 24 hours closer to being just like Jesus. When you consider all that, you just had the best day you ever had in your life. It's just a matter of perspective. I'm telling you, perspective is everything. You, you, if you begin to see things correctly, when you, <clears throat> when you think right, correctly, you feel right. When you feel right, you act right. It all starts with your thinking. It all starts in how you think, the proper perspective of things. That's the reason God gave us His Word, I believe, more than anything else. God gave us His Word to change the way we think. Now, any of you in here have zero area in your life where you need to change the way you think? I mean, you're just exactly like Jesus right now? <clears throat> well, if you don't, if you're not just exactly like Jesus, then you have needs of changing the way you think. And the only way that's going to happen properly is for you to receive His Word. God's Word changes the way you think and begins to order your thinking according to God's ways. As your thinking is ordered according to God's ways, it changes the way you feel on the inside. changes your emotional life. changes your perspective. And it definitely changes the way you act. changes what you do. But it all starts with your mind. That's why it's important that your mind be renewed. You need your mind to be renewed. God's given us the mind of Christ, and we need to have our mind renewed through His Word. <clears throat> so this Bible is a lot more important than a lot of people think. It's more important than just allowing to, to be, uh, you know, laid around in your house and, you know, picking it up every once in a while and carrying it with you thinking because it's with you the devil can't bother you. It's more important than that. What God really wants you to do is feed on His Word. And it will change the way you think. I hope that what we see, just some simple things in His Word tonight, changes the way you think in one particular area of your life and that you'll never be the same again because it changed you. That's the way I change, is because I began to receive in certain areas at different times in different ways. It comes sometimes through own personal study or devotion. comes through the preaching of the Word as someone else is preaching. comes sometimes when I'm preaching. I mean, there's times where I'll say something and I think, man, that was so good, I wish I'd have taken notes on myself. <laughs> and, and a mental note to say, that is going to change my life. It's going to change the way I think. 
So it comes through personal study. It comes through others. It may come through just conversations with another brother or sister in the Lord. It may come in some, some other way. It may come from God Himself. But as you receive His Word, the most important thing it does is change your mind. It changes your, your thinking. Now, if you, if you aren't right now thinking absolutely correctly in all areas, you need to open yourself up to believe that it's possible for God to say something to me tonight that will change my life in a particular area of my life. Don't ever go to church just thinking, well, I'm going to church and hope it makes me feel a little better. Don't go with more expectations than that. Go, number one, expecting to meet with God. To come into His presence and, and to meet with Him. But secondly, come expecting that somewhere in this corporate gathering, the Lord is going to come and say something to me that's going to leave me different. And He will. Those who ask, get. Now, that's a little misquote of the word, but it's the truth. If you seek, you will what? Fine. If you knock, the door will be open to you. Ask and you shall receive. Come expecting that the Word of God, in whatever form it comes to me, is going to change my life. And God can say something to you totally independent of what I'm saying. Have you ever noticed that in church? A preacher be preaching on one thing, God's talking to you about something else. That doesn't happen often, so don't be listening to other voices. I want you to listen to me. <laughs> but anyway, I want you to tune in tonight. Please just give attention for, you know, the next three or four hours as we go through the Word <clears throat> and concentrate. All right? I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 1, if you would, please. Acts chapter 1. Before we get into it tonight, uh, I just want to say how much I appreciate the opportunity of coming and teaching and being a part of your lives and getting a chance to come because I feel an ownership, some measure of ownership in the birth and the life of this church simply because I've prayed for you. And I prayed for Robert long before this church ever started. Prayed with him through the process of the decisions and, and feel a deep ownership of and, and really a great deal of joy in what God's done in the church in one year. It's quite remarkable. I mean, it really is. And the Lord is doing some good things. And I feel, and many of our people feel a part of that because we all love Robert. I mean, at Calvary, we love Robert. We loved him at Metro in Oklahoma. Uh, he's come and done all of the presbyteries that we've, that we've had in our church. And our people there love him. And if you all don't like him, we'll take him. I don't know what we'd do with him, but we'll take him. But we love Robert and love Debbie and love their family and love the staff and the people that God is collecting and putting together as a leadership team here. And uh, so it's an honor to me, it really is, to be able to, to come and teach you and to uh, open the Word of God to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now this is, this is Luke writing the book of Acts. And the first account he composed was the book of Luke. So in the book of Luke, he talks about what Jesus began to do and to teach. In the book of Acts, he's going to tell you a lot of other things that he did, okay? Verse 2, until the day when he, Jesus, was taken up after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that which the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest part of the earth. Now look up here a minute. Acts chapter 1 is a transition uh, chapter in the Bible. It's making this huge transition. It marks the beginning of a great cha uh, chapter or transition in human beings' lives, as a matter of fact. There's not a more important transition that ever took place in the history of mankind than took place during this season of time that uh, Luke was writing the book of Acts. Luke was writing the first chapter of the book of Acts, as a matter of fact. Now, the Gospels ended, as Robert has been teaching you, the last two weeks. What happened the week before Jesus' uh, uh, crucifixion? What happened the day after his, or three days after his crucifixion and his burial? What happened on Sunday following the Sabbath, the resurrection day? Well, he's beginning to talk about here what happened after that. And so it's a tremendously important transition. The Gospels end with the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And Acts begins to talk about and introduces the account of the birth of the church and its growth through the apostles. So there was a transfer of ownership that took place here. There was a tremendous transition of thinking that took place here. Now Jesus is simply preparing these people that He's writing to, that He's expressing this, this truth to. He's preparing them... <laughs> for the most incredibly unbelievable event, almost, almost, ranks right up there in the top three, I think. Most incredibly unbelievable event in human history. And that was the advent or the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell and live not only with us, but in us, in the lives of human beings. The coming of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is preparing these people to receive. That's what, he's, that's what He's doing. He's setting them up for what's about to happen. Now see, the disciples faced a big challenge here in the beginning of the book of Acts. Here was their challenge. How are we going to do this without Him? He's not here. He's gone. He was here, but He's not here anymore. How are we going to do what He told us to do without Him? How are we going to do it? How are we going to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all nations and make disciples of all nations? How are we going to preach repentance to the ends of the earth? How are we going to do that? How are we going to heal the sick and raise the dead and all the things that Jesus told us to do. How are we going to do that? He's not here anymore. How are we going to carry on? Now that's a good question I'd like to ask you. How are we going to do what He left us here to do without Him here? Anybody got any ideas? Anybody got a good idea? How are we going to do what Jesus left us here to do without Him? Here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how. We're going to do it exactly the same way they did. And that's what Luke was saying. And that's what Jesus was saying when He was preparing them to receive the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The only way to do what Jesus left us here to do is through a dependency and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, 
But it's been my observation of church life over the course of the last 30 years that there's a lot of people that simply feel like it's possible to talk about the Holy Spirit too much. And I don't agree with that. I don't believe it's possible to think about, talk about, and emphasize the presence and the power and the gifts and all of the things that the Holy Spirit came to give us. I don't think it's possible to talk about that too much. And people say, you're going to seed on the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're going to get plumb crazy if you keep on talking about the Holy Spirit all the time. Well, if He makes me crazy, then I'm going to be crazy because He's the only choice we've got. The only thing you have to depend upon in the Christian life, not only doing what Jesus lets you here to do, but to becoming like Christ. The only hope you have is through the agency and the power of the Holy Spirit because your flesh can't produce it. Your flesh can't do it. It's impossible. So the only way for us to accomplish what Jesus left us here to do is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we better find out some stuff about Him. We better learn how to walk in Him. We better learn how to hear Him. We better learn to understand and discern His presence and what He desires and what He wants to do. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, I was reading this, I've read it many times, but uh, when God gave, began to showing me this message, I was reading this one day and uh, again challenged by the whole scenario of the first portion of the book of Acts. I was reading this one day, and I, and I saw, you know, that he commanded them to go over to the upper room and wait, and they waited ten days uh, till the fullness of time had come for Pentecost to take place, and the, the, the celebration of Pentecost. And they were in the upper room, and Jesus told them to go over to the city of Jerusalem and wait in Luke 24, wait for the promise of the one of the Father, and they went over there and waited. They did a strange... When Jesus told that, that 120 disciples to go to the upper room and wait, they did an, a weird thing. They went over there and waited. They did what he said. It's amazing that a whole 120 group of people would do what Jesus said. He went over there and did it. They went over there and did it. And the Spirit of God came into their lives. Now, here's the point. That 120 group of disciples of 120 went into that upper room totally incapable of doing what Jesus left them there to do. But they came out of that room absolutely, fully capable of doing everything that the Lord had left them here to do. I don't know about you, but I've got to find out what happened in that room. Are you interested in seeing what happened in that room? I mean, what happened to them? Did they all of a sudden just get a lot smarter? <laughs> they get wiser? They get stronger? Did they get filled up with some good ideas? What happened to them? So, <clears throat> I want to show you tonight, just in my own simple way, what happened to them. Now, some people in the room here tonight even would say, well, I know what happened to them. I don't know why you got to go over that again. You know, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit invaded their lives and came upon them, and they were endued with power and all this kind of stuff. But my point is this. It's, even if you know that and have experienced that, it's still easy to get away from it. It's still easy to drift out of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. To Listen, you can move from here to way over there and wake up one day and wonder how you got there. 
It's kind of just drifting out of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And anytime you don't depend upon Him and trust in Him and put your hope in Him, you put your hope in something else. Well, what else do you put it in? You put it in your own flesh, the performance of your flesh. And especially in good times, it's easy to trust in your flesh. But some of you got some good flesh. So it's easy to put your trust, especially in good times. It's easier in hard times, really, in challenging times, to utterly depend upon the Holy Spirit than it is in good times. But we find ourselves drifting. So I want to call your attention back to where you need to be rather than where you might be, okay? Don't, don't, let, don't allow the drift to take place. Uh, for instance, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about here, this, the way we need to be brought back to attention on this issue because we simply don't have any other hope other than the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the only hope we have. If you were to go to the dictionary, for example, and look up the word black, one of the words that would describe black as a definition of black would be the word dark. If you go to the dictionary and look up dark, one of the words that describes dark or defines dark is obscure. You look obscure, one of the words that defines obscure is dim. You go to the dictionary and look up dim, one of the words that defines dim is pale. You go to the dictionary and look up pale, and one of the words that defines pale is white. Well, now, I started out with black, and I end up with white, and I didn't take any big steps along the way. I may not be the most brilliant person in the world, but I know that black ain't white. And I don't know how I got white, and I started out black. I started out this way, ended up this way. Or I started out this way and ended up this way, and I don't know how I got here. Now, I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. You can find yourself in a hurry somewhere where you never intended to be and thinking things you never intended to think and wake up one day and say, how in the world did I get here? It doesn't take a whole lot of... of of being off course to get a long way from God's perfect will and desire for your life if you don't focus in on trusting in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. This whole issue of the Holy Spirit is very important to us. It's the most important issue that faces us. He said, Not many days from now you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's the most important event in human history since the coming of Jesus. Jesus says, as a matter of fact, it's more important that I go away. It's expedient that I go away. It's better that I leave. Why? Because another like me will come. The Comforter will come. But He will no longer be with you. He will be in you. If you don't wake up to the understanding of the fact of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and the, and the need of, being, of receiving this baptizo, this immersion in His presence, you don't have anything to lean on except the, the good ideas you have in your mind and the strong arm of your flesh. That's all you got. That's all that's left. It's either the Holy Spirit or your flesh. So it's important that we look at this. So I'm just going to ask a few, just a few questions. Here's the question. Why be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Why be filled with the Holy Spirit? And this is not complicated. Why be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's the first reason. You listening? Here's the first reason. So we can think what God thinks. So we can think what God thinks, or think as God thinks. 
We need to be encouraged to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so we can think what God thinks. Um, naturally speaking, we don't have the power to think what God thinks. We don't think God's thoughts in the natural. Do we? Isaiah 55, 9 says what? As the, earth, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. His ways and His thoughts are so much higher than ours, it's like the heavens above the earth. I don't have a chance. I, I, don't, have, I don't have a chance of thinking God's thoughts or thinking the way God thinks in the power of my flesh. So one of the things that happened to these people in the upper room and it can happen to you is through the agency of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to think as God thinks. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about the same thing, actually, in verse 14 through 16, where it says, essentially, a natural man does not receive or accept the things of the Spirit of God. Indeed, they are, they, they are foolishness, foolishness to him because these kinds of things are spiritually appraised. It's only by the Spirit that we're able to know some things. You cannot know spiritual things with your natural mind. It's impossible. So in order to think what God thinks, you must be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit to think the thoughts of God. Now let me just show you a couple of reasons why I think you, you need to think the thoughts of God. And why we need to. Let me ask you this. Here, here's, here's the way we think lots of times. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought, just if it has ever occurred to you or popped into your mind, um, just even randomly sometimes maybe, but have you ever remember ever having this thought? That's impossible. You ever said that? You ever thought that? Huh? Have you? That's impossible. I can't do that. It's impossible. They can't do that. It's impossible. That'll never change. It's impossible. It's impossible. That's the way we think regularly. Don't we? Yeah. We, that's the way we think. It's impossible. Do you think that's the way God thinks? I mean, does God ever wake up one morning and say, it's impossible? <laughs> can't happen. Won't change. Circumstances will never change. It cannot happen. It's impossible. Human beings are hopeless. I can't do it anymore. You think God ever thinks that? No. The thought, it's impossible, has never entered the mind of God. Ever. What does the Word say about Him? With God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. All things are possible with God. Now, I believe God wants us to think His thoughts in that area instead of our own. He wants us to begin to see that in the power of the Spirit, through the agency of the Spirit, there is nothing impossible with God or with God in me. That's how He wants us to think. That becomes the basis of our faith. Nothing is impossible. You don't wake up and say, this circumstance will never change. This circumstance cannot ever change. It is impossible. Yes, it is. How do I know? Because that's the way God thinks. So I think it's important for us to begin thinking like God thinks. And I think it definitely changed them thinking 
like God thinks, in this particular area, this particular way. They went into the upper room believing this whole deal is an absolute impossibility. Matter of fact, they were, they were terribly, terribly challenged by what Jesus had left them to do. But they came, came out of it believing, not only believing, but achieving those impossible things. They began to think as God thinks. Here's another way we think sometimes. Here, we have a tendency to think as, as Christians, uh, human beings, we begin to think, you know, uh, what I need is I need more faith. I need more faith. I need more faith. And, and I'd be all right if I had more faith. That's the way we think. Do you think that's what God thinks? <laughs> he doesn't need more faith, and he knows that. But do you think God thinks we need more faith? Well, we get to thinking we need more faith, so we'll run to seminars and get us some tapes and listen to tapes on faith and try to build up our faith and all of this, and what I need is more faith. How much, how much faith does it take? So you need to start thinking a little differently in this area. How much genuine, spirit-inspired faith does it take? Does it take a lot or does it take a little? How much does it take? You say to do what? To do anything. To do anything. See, we think we need more faith. Yet God comes to say to us, as a matter of fact, Jesus, there's no place in the Bible, no place in the Word anywhere where we're encouraged to ask God for more faith. No place. You say, wrong, 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 preacher. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Yeah, that's what they said, but do you ever read what he said to their request? Here's a tr tremendously st strong rebuke to them, talking about the fig tree and all of that kind of thing that withered up. They came back and said, wow, this, it really happened. What you said happened. He said, look, have faith in God. The next time you hear me say something, you can go ahead and put it in the bank. It's going to happen. And then he goes ahead to teach us them in a, in a rebuking way. He said, listen to me. If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, just a tiny little speck, the, the tip of a pinhead, just a tiny speck of faith, this little faith moves this huge mountain. Little faith moves huge mountain. That's what he's saying. How much faith does it take? Just a little. Do you need more than you already have? No. You've already got a little. You have a measure of faith. You have the mustard seed measure of faith in you the moment you were born again. You had enough faith to believe. God gave you that. you got plenty of faith. You just need to use the faith you have. Exercise it as it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You don't need... Listen. How many of you believe that God can do anything? Then why are you going to seminars? You're going to have somebody else tell you that God can do anything? You already believe He can do anything. You just said you did when you raised your hand. Do you or not? Then quit going to seminars and start exercising the faith you have. Speak it. Listen, at Calvary Assembly, for example, when I first got there, they had this huge mountain of debt. It was enormous. It was debilitating and crushing and almost took the church under. And one of the things I told them, I said, listen, we're going to stop complaining to God about how big this mountain is, and we're going to start telling this mountain how big God is. It only takes a little mustard seed of faith. Surely we can drum that much up to move this stinking mountain. Amen? God thinks you got enough faith. 
You need to start thinking like he thinks. It doesn't take but a little bit of faith to do big things. <clears throat> Through the power and the agency and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason it's important that you be baptized in, in the Holy Spirit and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Your mind begins to change. And you begin to see things differently. And you don't judge everything after the natural. You begin judging things after the Spirit. You, you begin seeing things in a different way. You stop seeing all these impossibilities. And you begin to think, you know, with God, nothing's impossible. I believe I'm going to get off my rear end and start praying. I'm going to quit complaining so much and start trusting. I'm going to, I'm going to stop looking to natural, natural things to help me do supernatural works. I'm going to stop trying to figure it all out and trust God. Those kinds of things happen through the agency of the Holy Spirit in no, no other place, no, no other way. It's important that you be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You say, what if it starts making me act weird? Well, just weird all over the place if that's what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. But listen, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you more genuinely human. And don't be afraid of Him. We don't think like he thinks. You can see this here in the book of Acts. First chapter 1. Jesus comes to these disciples and he says, not many days from now you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what did they say? Oh, it's at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. We're going to get to be big shots. We've been waiting on this a long time. See, that's the way we think. That's the way we think lots of times. That's the way we think. Jesus comes and says, is to prepare them for the greatest event in human, natural human history, the birth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And He says, you get prepared for this. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's going to be more wonderful than anything you've ever experienced in your life. It's going to be God in you. The Comforter is coming. The Paraclete is about to invade your lives. They said, oh, it's at, the, it's at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to us. See, they were thinking about themselves. He was thinking about a world without hope and without God. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We think about us pert and all the time. He's thinking about a world without hope and without God. If you're ever going to get to where you think like God thinks, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It changed them in that way. They never asked that question again. And never had that expectation again in their lives that they were, He was going to restore the kingdom and they were going to get to rule with Him. If you don't believe that, read the rest of the book of Acts and watch, watch happened to them. God changed their mind that day when the Holy Spirit invaded their lives. Same thing happened with Peter. Peter was thinking one way, and God was thinking another way. Peter said, I'm called to the Jews. I'm not going to the Gentiles. But that wasn't what God was thinking. That's when the sheet with the un unclean stuff was let down, and all that happened with Peter. Essentially, God said, Peter, you better change your mind about this. You don't think you're called to the Gentiles, but I think you are. And you better do what I say. And he did. He was going one way. God was leading in another way. 
through the agency of the Holy Spirit is where you find those kinds of things out. It is not by might and not by power of the flesh. It is by my Spirit, says the Lord. A dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing. You say, man, are they all going to be this long? No. Here's the second reason we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That we can feel what God feels. Not only think what God thinks, but feel what God feels. This may be harder than the first one. You can't feel what God feels. We can't do that. Yet He wants us to feel what He feels. <clears throat> For instance, the most comprehensive definition of God, I guess, if you were going to put it in one sentence, is found in the book of 1 John, where it says, God is what? He's love. It doesn't say He, he is lovely or He he loves, it says He is love. He is. He embodies love. That's what He is. God is called love. It's only through the agency and the power of the Holy Spirit operating within you in a supernatural manner that you're able to love as God loves. That's the only way. You can't do it in the power of your flesh. Can you? You ever been challenged by the challenges in the Word to love as God loves? It's overwhelming. Overwhelming. It's impossible. Except through God. Now, for example, I, I, I truly do love Robert. I've loved him a long time. And I really do. He's a great brother, a great friend, and I love him. I'd do anything for him. I really would. Anything that I could do that would benefit him, I would do. If I thought it was in God's plan, God's will. There's one thing I couldn't do and wouldn't do. I would not sacrifice one of my children for Him. I wouldn't give one of my children up to die for Him. I couldn't. Nor would He ask me to, but I couldn't do that even if the request was made. That's something I simply could not do. God did. God did. It's only through the agency and the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to love as God loves. We're able to feel what God feels. It's only supernaturally imposed upon us by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, how in the world are we ever going to reach a world of people we don't even know? How are we going to have compassion for people that we don't even know? In the power of our flesh, I mean, like we are? No. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that brings the compassion for people into our lives so we can feel what God feels. It's the only way. God changed these people that way. The Holy Spirit changed them that way. He changed them from self-centered, self-seeking individualists into people who are passionately in love with God and had a, com a great compassion and love for other human beings. He did that. I imagine most of you are about like me, to tell you the truth. Here's the way I am most of the time. I imagine you're about like me. I mean, basically, I love me. And I, and I love those that contribute to my welfare. That's basically the way we are. I love me and mine, those that love me and mine.
How am I ever going to think differently from that? How am I ever going to stand over a city like Jesus did and genuinely see the people and weep? Not because they're being blown to smithereens or blood's running in the streets necessarily, but begin to weep simply because these human beings look like sheep with no shepherd. How am I going to feel that? Do I need to feel that? Do I need to feel that way? Do you need to feel that way? Maybe that's a better question. If we're ever going to do what Jesus left us here to do, is it important that we feel what He feels concerning other people? Is it important? Yes. I have people all the time coming to me, Pastor, I just don't love people. I don't have compassion for people. I say, well, I don't either. In the power of my flesh, I don't either. It's only through the agency of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, that you're able even to begin to see with God's eyes, to think what God thinks, and to feel what He feels. But I believe it's possible for us to feel that same kind of compassion for people. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need Him too. You want your old cold heart warmed up? Let it get invaded by the Spirit of God. He'll warm you up in a hurry. You'll find yourself weeping at times that you wouldn't have wept in the past. You'll find yourself laughing at times that you wouldn't have laughed in the past. You'll find yourself rejoicing at things you wouldn't have rejoiced over before and find yourself weeping at things you wouldn't have wept over, weeped, wept over before. He changes you that way in how you feel. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? He was a good guy, wasn't he? The Good Samaritan was. Went and got the guy out of the ditch who had been beaten up and left for dead and all that stuff and took care of him. You remember what happened in that story? You remember this guy got robbed and beat up and left in the ditch and so forth, and this priest came by first and the Levite came by second. They saw this old guy down there in the ditch and thought, eh, and walked by on the other side. You know why they went by on the other side? Because they could tell from where they were that he'd already been robbed. That's why. Now listen. 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 Some of you got that, didn't you? Listen, listen. I'm going to make a point out of this if you listen to me. Listen to me. You don't go into the ditch based upon who it is, that in, who it is that's in there. You don't go into the ditch based upon who it is that's in there or what they have. You go into the ditch based on the fact that somebody's in there that was created in the image of God. It's only through the agency of the Holy Spirit that we are able to to feel what God feels about human beings. I don't think there's a more important issue for the church that faces the church today than the issue I just mentioned. We must, in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we must, we must, we must step beyond where the disciples were in desiring to have a kingdom where we can be big shots. And see the world that's lost in going to hell without hope. So we can feel what God feels. Here's the third reason to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
so we can want what He wants. So we can want what He wants. The Holy Spirit will change your wanter. He'll change your wanter. I, I think <clears throat> this is just a personal opinion. I, I believe we need our wanters changed. I believe we got a problem with our wanter. There is a war going on over our wanter, our wants, isn't there? You feel it all the time, don't you? There's a huge difference between our wanter and our needer, <laughs> isn't there? How wonderful it will be. Think about this, folks, just for a moment. Just, just consider it. How incredible, how, what an incredible way to live to always want what God wants. To be free of everything else except what God wants. Wow. I'd give a lot for that. It would free you from so many things. So many wasted moments and hours and endless time spent in activities that are meaningless. So much emotion wrapped up in stuff and things and projects and all this stuff. What it would, what it would be like to live only wanting what God wants. I believe that's possible. I don't believe I'm there, but I believe it's possible. I believe through the agency of the Spirit that's possible, that we can want what God wants. You remember what uh, Psalm 37, 4 says, don't you? It says, it's an incredible little statement. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I believe He will give you what you want, but the important thing in that is this. He will give you what you want, but He changes your wanter to want what He wants you to want. So everything you want is His will. People come and say to me, Pastor, how do I find the will of God? I mean, that's probably the most often asked question of all. How do I know the will of God in this particular area, this particular matter? Or how do I figure out what the will of God is? Let me give you a... a a definition of the will of God and how to find the will of God. Want what God wants and do anything you want to. <laughs> Amen? You just want what God wants and do anything you want to. Now you begin to see this. If you'll think about it a minute, you'll see it displayed in this pristine form in the lives of the early New Testament Christians. You see it displayed in their, in their community. You see it displayed in their relationships with each other. You see the destruction and the utter, the utter wiping out of their previous desires and wants and stuff till they come to the place of this beautiful, and it's very, very significantly beautiful, relationships with one another and compassion for those around them. 
the Holy Spirit changed their lives in this area. They began to want what God wants. There's a war over our wanter. Now, I know I'm kidding around about that a little bit, but it's really serious. It's really serious. And it's really glorious to contemplate. It's one of the most glorious things that I have ever contemplated is a life lived wanting only what God wants. What a liberating thing that would be. Hot dog. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe it's possible for us to want what God wants. Let me give you number four. You, you see it coming, don't you? Think what he thinks, feel what he feels, want what he wants. Anybody guess on the last one? So we can do. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, so we can do what God does. So we can do what God does. <clears throat> the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to move beyond dependence upon our flesh. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3.3. 3. You remember what he said? He said, we, we glory in Christ, we, we worship in the Spirit, we glory in Christ Jesus, talking about Christians or spiritual people. We worship in the Spirit, we glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Do you want know it to be like to have no confidence in your flesh? How important that, that is to you to have no confidence in your flesh because it's not going to produce the works of God or the character of God or the acts of God. It's not going to produce that. It can produce some things, but it's not going to produce those things. The Lord desires for us to get beyond dependence upon the flesh and get into the place where we really can supernaturally operate to do what Jesus left us here to do.